Good morning, everyone. Um, Today we've got two Bible readings. Um, I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter first and then Colossians. Um, The reading in Colossians is found on page 1185, so maybe find that, put your finger in it, and then flick to back to 1222 for 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 16. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Great. Thanks, Aisha. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be here as we kick off a four-week series on mission, as Jamie has mentioned Um, We will kind of expand over the four weeks and kind of of come to a crescendo on God's mission to the world as uh, Mark Peterson from CMS sort of finishes off the series. But as we get underway today, I'd love us to think a little bit more locally about our mission field for our city. So, I don't know, I'm a fairly visual person, I don't know about you, but come come with me for a little kind of drone shot fly over our city, Uh, you know, imagine the drone a few hundred metres up in the air flying north over the beaches of our southern suburbs, you know, kind of up through uh, the south there to O'Halloran Hill and then kind of Adelaide just kind of pans out as it comes down onto the plains. You can see the southern expressway now pouring into the now rather complex and epic Darlington interchange. There's Tonsley TAFE. Hi, everyone at Trinity Church, Tonsley. And then we cut across the kind of the suburbs uh, to the beautiful garden suburb of Kernelite Gardens and us here at the RSL. We zip up north over King William Road and Hyde Park, out over the parklands. People are standing aside the ovals in the cold, watching their kids' soccer, quiet city streets, Adelaide Oval, the cathedral... And then if you're anything like me, you can't visualise anything anymore because I'm from the south, like the north is just like a you know, complete void. I, I just can't visualise it. I need to actually get a drone up to do it. But I'd now love you to consider our city with spiritual eyes to see what's going on. How many of our 1.37 million citizens have a sure and certain hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? How many have uh, repented Uh, from their sin, bringing our record of death to the cross of Christ, receiving a right standing with God, righteousness from Christ as a gift freely and lovingly given. 
How many have a guaranteed place by Jesus in God's eternal family and a sure hope in the new heavens and the new earth upon the coming return of Jesus? How many in our city have that? Well, as we answer that question, let's start with how many will be sitting in our city's churches uh, this day. And we have to exercise some level of discernment here uh, because unfortunately not everywhere with church written above the door proclaims the gospel of Jesus. And that's, we say that with great sadness and we looked at that in our two Peter series. But depending on how, how tightly you want to define things, how many Catholics, what Pente churches have the gospel at heart, how many Christians are sitting in Anglican churches... Uh, that don't preach the gospel, you'll land somewhere in the realms of about ten to 30,000. So taking the most generous, let's go with 30,000, that's 2.3%. Now post-COVID, around half the people who belong to churches won't be at church today, so maybe we could uh, double that number of people who have a spiritual pulse in our city, that'll be 4.6%. Then for those of you who like to argue numbers and say, what about the saved person who's not attending a church, Christians in nursing homes and so on, you know, maybe just maybe we could get that number up to 7% of people in our city who know and have a place in God's eternal family. But between you and me, I think that 7% number is a little generous. But even taking the most generous of numbers that still leaves over 1.2 million people in our city that we just kind of flew over with our drone a minute ago that have no hope beyond this life. For those 1.2 million people, and you might consider yourselves one of them here today without Jesus, uh, whatever they or or you receive in this life without Jesus, uh, this life is as good as it gets. And unfortunately, it's about to get far worse than one could imagine. Coming before a holy God with our record of sin upon our own shoulders without Jesus bearing the load for us. So if you're here today or considering yourself or listening online and wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is kind of at the heart of it. This is what's you know kind of cut to the chase. That at the heart of the Christian faith, without Jesus, this life is as good as it gets And it's about to get far worse. Whereas with Jesus, no matter what's going on in this life, it's as bad as it will ever get. And it's about to get far better. Your best days are always ahead of you with Jesus. So as we start this series on mission, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to start with those 1.2 million people in mind. And if you're one of those 1.2 million people, welcome, and we hope it's a great series for you to be a part of. Come chat to us after the service. You've already heard about life uh, starting in a month's time. We're starting our youth version of life uh, this afternoon uh, as well. Uh, There's newcomers' lunches. uh, There's people willing to read the Bible with you. If you want to find out about Jesus, you've come to the right place. We'd love to love you and share about Jesus with you. And I must say, as a as a church family, don't be under any false illusions. We don't uh, think in and of ourselves uh, that we are special or have it all together. But we can introduce you to the most important person to ever walk the planet that can give you the gift of life with God, Jesus. So a question for us all then, what do you think God is doing this day 
amongst the 1.2 million people in our city who don't know him. Well, I'd put it to you, he's doing what he's always done. He's proactively introducing himself to people not looking for him through his people bearing the words of eternal life about Jesus. Uh, It's one of the reasons I put together a a five-week reading guide to go along with the Bible studies for this series that takes you through the book of Acts. Because Acts, as I said last week, it's a unique book in the Bible where we see God at work. Acts lets us kind of peel back the curtain and see God at work building his church from the ascension of Jesus to heaven, actively kind of directing and building the church by the Spirit. And we get to kind of see God doing that with the director's commentary on. We have all the explanatory notes on how God works in this era, the divine director of evangelism, Jesus building his church with the Spirit of God actively directing the work. Now, we don't get to switch on the director's commentary in our own life today. I really wish we could. But uh, I would strongly assert that God is at work in our city this day. And our job this morning and through this series is thinking, what part do we have to play? What part has God called us to as he is on mission with this great news about Jesus? It's an expansive topic, to be sure, but I want to focus on one really important part that we have to play this day as we join God in this work. So you see in your outline where we're going, in a short, and the short summary is, uh, speak to God about people and speak to people about God. So point one, Colossians 4, 2 to 4, speak to God about people. Read with me from verse 2, where we're told, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Uh, Paul is encouraging us uh, very strongly to be devoted in our prayer life, being watchful, which I think is being meaningful of the times that we live in, and always to be thankful to God's grace and mercy to us as the indispensable foundation uh, for his next prayer request, verse 3 where the Apostle uh, Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul is a gifted by God evangelist and he's asking prayer for himself and all those who join him in the task that God may open a door for the message or more literally opening a door for the word of God. Because in the end, it's the word of God that changes people. It's the word of our God that needs to be proclaimed so that people can understand the great mystery it is that God should come to earth and remain fully God while being fully man as Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So Paul asks for prayer, verse 4, that I, referring to himself, may proclaim it, being the gospel, the word of God, clearly as I should. Pray that evangelists, when the door is open for the word of God to be proclaimed, that they'd speak it clearly as they ought. Now, I think from this passage and and further afield, we can make a very kind of clear understanding that uh, there are some gifted in God's church to what I would call kind of capital or big E evangelists, like the Apostle Paul here, kind of driving forward into new places, into the public square, proactively like the Apostle Paul and uh, we're all called to pray uh, for those in our day and time who have this same sort of capital E evangelist role. Uh, One of my many uh, nephews, Luke, was baptised many years ago now 
And it was very clear to all who knew him that God was gifting him as a very passionate and gifted evangelist. Now, he lost his father uh, uh, some 12 years ago, and among the many prayers who were lifted up for that family, many prayed that God would open a door for Luke to proclaim the gospel. And answer that, God did. He was given an opportunity to preach at school assembly, and obviously only a Christian school would allow that, but like many Christian schools, most of the students weren't Christian, and a door was open for him to proclaim the gospel clearly to 800 school students, and he proclaimed it clearly as he should. Now, you would never wish for the circumstances that opened that door. But how else can you respond but to praise God that he opened the door through that for many to hear the word of God? And at the end of his sermon, he uh, invited the whole school to come join him for a Bible study that he was starting up. And on the first week, about 40 kids uh, rocked up. Praise God for answering that prayer, opening a door for the word of God to ring out. And um, for me, as a pastor, there's parts of the role, if you haven't figured it out yet, that I'm not great at. Some I get by with, a few things by God's grace I do well. Yet give me a crowd of people who don't know Jesus at a funeral or a wedding or a carol service. I ask lots of people to pray and despite my nerves, my self-doubts, I trust Jesus and with people praying, God continues to open doors for the gospel joy among joys, through me of all people, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to people who don't know Jesus quite well. But as always, for it to be effective, God has to be at work, as we can do nothing in our own church. So I think probably the best thing I contribute in that thing is to ask people to pray for the door, for the gospel to ring out. So I'd appreciate your prayer this day, as we're starting a new series of Youth Life this afternoon. Uh, as Jamie mentioned, Life uh, is a series where you help to run, to help people explore Jesus for the first time, or to think through church and Jesus for the first time in a while. And for the youth this afternoon, I'm trying out all new material, writing it from scratch. And I've really been praying, and I hope it'll make a real impact both on our Christian youth and their friends. And our youth have actually been some of the best historically in inviting their friends along. I was getting texts this morning from people asking me to pray because their kids are coming along and they're bringing their friends, pray that the friends uh, would come along. And if you know me, the way I prepare, there's editing and rewriting right up until the last minute. (laughs) So please pray that after lunch today, that as I do so, uh, that the word of God would be proclaimed clearly by me and there'd actually be plenty of people there wanting to hear about Jesus. And I might proclaim the gospel clearly as I ought. It's not a throwaway line in a sermon. I really, really would treasure your prayers this afternoon. And it's interesting that that's the first order of business in this section of Colossians from Paul concerning the ministry of all believers in promoting the gospel. He commends it as a duty to all of us to open our mouths in prayer, praying for those involved in direct kind of public evangelism. It actually struck me as I was preparing this series that I used to pray a lot for God to bring more with the gift of evangelism into our church family too. 
And when I did, God answered that prayer historically quite wonderfully. And then I think looking back, um, I reckon we're at one of the lower ebbs as a church, missionally speaking, and it struck me, how in the world did it drop off my agenda to stop praying that God would give us more big E evangelists? I mean, when we get a bit short on musos, we pray, and God's very kind at giving us people like Ben and Jana for a season when we're a bit short in the kids' ministry, we pray. How, how did I, how did we stop praying for that? So one of the challenges of preaching, God's word has to do its work on your own heart before you can stand up. I'd love to call us to pray for more with the gift of evangelism to be brought into our church to help us all uh, with our mission. In light of, you can never disconnect this from the need. If you don't keep remembering the need, you'll never be motivated to action. So in light of the spiritual need of 1.2 million people in our city who desperately need Jesus for truth, light, salvation, eternity. Will you pray that God will give us more big E evangelists as a church? Might be a new person here for the first time today, they may arrive next week. Or as I suspect, it might be many amongst us already who perhaps need to pray for God to fan that flame uh, of that gift, that by the Spirit of God, our, direct, our divine director of evangelism, uh, that those people are used to break new ground in the workplace, in the school, over a pint here at the RSL, in a random checkout uh, conversation at Woolies. So point one, speak to God about people, which is pray for our evangelists and for God to raise up and bring in way more. But our hearts can protest a little at this point, thinking, well, what about those without the gift of evangelism? Surely we're not to remain silent. And verses 5 and 6, I think, give us an apt reply. Point 2, if you're taking notes. Colossians 4, 5 to 6, speak to people about God. Let's read those two verses together. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the NIV in translating this has left a couple of words out here to make it easy to read. The last part of verse 6 actually reads, so that you may know how you ought, the you ought is kind of dropped out, to answer everyone, so that you may know how you ought, referring to all believers, to answer everyone. Paul first asked for prayer for himself, and evangelists like him would be provided open doors for the word that they may be used to proclaim the messages they ought, same word used, then he tends to give to advice to all Christians on how they ought answer everyone. So in my reading, evangelists do direct evangelism, seeking to break new ground. All Christians, however, have uh, are called to the task of what some have called responsive evangelism, to speak to people about God when the opportunity arises. Now, please don't misunderstand me at this point. It don't, don't, doesn't mean we're to stay silent about Jesus for months and years until someone serves us up the perfect you know, question about Jesus. So how do I inherit eternal life? Tell me. I'm not sounding the retreat here. Look again at verse 5. It says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. In speaking of wisdom here, Paul isn't saying be shrewd in your interactions. Biblical wisdom is living in light of what God has revealed to us. Living wisely is living how God would have us live. Another way to put it would be to say, live lives 
worthy of the gospel of Jesus. It's one of Paul's most favourite phrases. Uh, He makes this point back earlier in Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, as he prays that they may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So rather than suggesting people without the gift of evangelism speak less about the good news of Jesus... He evidently assumes if you're living a life worthy of the gospel, opportunities, if God's wisdom is guiding you how to live in relation to those who don't uh, know Christ. Opportunities for responsive evangelism can be found everywhere. Make the most of every opportunity, he says, verse 5. Now, it's worth acknowledging at this point that I think we live in a cultural moment where Christians are increasingly finding it hard to identify as Christians in the workplace, in the wider community. There's certainly been a shift accelerating over the past 10 years, and go into this far more detail in youth life this afternoon, but there's been a shift happening where Christians kind of last century were kind of seen as the good guys in society, maybe thought of a little prudish, maybe taking religion a bit too seriously. But the good guys who could be pleasantly ignored by many. Now, however, we're increasingly seen as the bad guys due to our biblical convictions on things like sexuality, gender and the like. We're increasingly being seen as the enemies of good that need to be wiped off the face of the planet for society to progress. Uh, One of the books I recommended in the back of your booklets, which I've really been enjoying, the big one in the middle, I put it in the middle just to to draw your eye to the one I think you should most read if you're looking for one book to read, uh, is from a guy called Steve McAlpine called Being the Bad Guys, an Australian guy, won Christian Book of the Year a few years ago for a good reason, fantastic uh, read. We were hoping to have uh, a bookstore ready to go for today so you could act immediately and grab it and start reading. I understand the books are still on their way. They hopefully will be with us uh, next week. But it's a great book that explores this in far more depth in an Australian context. Fantastic read. I've really been loving it. And I'll uh, read you a quote that I've got on screen, a bit of gold from uh, Steve McAlpine that helps us kind of think of us now living in this role of being kind of the best bad guys we can be, as uh, Steve's tenor phrase is, and how we live our lives in a way that can open a message for the gospel of Jesus. So here's a bit of Steve Gold. I think I put it up on the uh, screen too, Liza. Uh, That'd be great. No, I could just look at the screen and see that you're already there. Fantastic. Here's a bit of Steve Gold. I printed it in your leaflets too to take home. Uh, Now, let me say before I read it, I think there's an aspirational element uh, in this to us. I don't, certainly this church, we've not nailed this, and uh, some of you might feel that painfully so. But here's a bit of Steve Gold. He says, and the way we live must be shocking in the way that it is also compelling. It must raise questions for those looking on, questions such as, if their way of thinking about sexuality or individual expression is so wrong, how come their lives look so good? Or if they're supposedly given over to hate speech, how come they love and serve their enemies? Or why is their speech so measured when they are scorned on social media? Or most perturbing to a culture that views personal sexual freedom as our primary identity marker, why are their marriages strong? 
They're single people chased and they're same-sex attracted people so fulfilled by non-sexual relationships. There's a lot more behind that quote that I can't cover now, which is why that book is primo in the suggested reading list. But it's really just an outworking of what we've seen over the past four weeks in 2 Peter. It's that urging that I hope you felt through the series that the Apostle Peter urges us to make every effort to live holy and godly lives. It's, of course, a right response to God. It's God-honouring and it's good for us. But as I made the point last week, it also has a missional edge too. To live our lives for God as a lived-out case study for our world, pointing to the goodness of God and living life God's way. Taking the many opportunities God provides us as we do to speak to people about our God. So speak to people, uh, speak to God about people, that was point one, pray for our evangelists in their ministry, and point two, speak to people about God as the opportunity arises. Now most of you will be saying at this point, sounds good Matt, but you know it's not that easy and sometimes we don't know where to start. I totally get that. I personally find it hard myself in many circumstances. Big topic worthy of much deeper reflection and helpful guidance. So that's why we've booked in as a kind of another response to this mission series. Two Wednesday nights on the 13th and 27th of September where we have the team from Engage Work Faith coming here to the RSL to give us some very practical help. So more info soon. Please come along. We'd love it if our growth groups kind of cancelled their growth groups, even if you don't meet on Wednesday and get as many people along as you can because this is a huge task for us. It's a huge felt need for us. I think probably I could count on one hand the people who feel super comfortable talking about Jesus in any and every situation uh, in the room. So for the rest of us, myself included, it'd be a great night to prioritise coming to. But two more brief points uh, for this morning. The first, if you're taking notes, is the manner of our reply, and the second is the motivation. Very briefly, in verse 6 of our Colossians reading, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. I don't think uh, grace and seasoning with salt in our conversations are two different things. Paul is simply saying that our conversations should be seasoned with graciousness. It's a simple point, and you'll notice it most if your conversations lack the grace and generosity of God and you get wound up by the moral decline of society and how the whole world's going to pot, you'll very quickly find yourself in a losing battle, fielding questions and accusations that all Christians are hypocrites. But if your speech overflows and is captivated by the generosity and grace of our God towards you you'll be on solid ground to answer people's questions. Peter too has a word for us in the manner of our reply. Uh, From our first reading, 1 Peter 3.15, where he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, Tempering words uh, for our social media warriors uh, um, in the church today. In this verse, a different word is used here uh, to Paul's, and both are translated answer. Uh, Peter's picking up more of an idea in his context of defending the faith rather than the more conversational approach Paul refers to. And it's worth acknowledging that people, even our friends and our families, 
can be at points quite pointed and insulting to our faith and we can often be called to defend it. What we're being told here is it must be done with gentleness and respect, even when emotionally we can feel like doing just the opposite. Being prepared to give a reason for our faith, I think, assumes that we are on solid intellectual ground to have reasons for believing. Uh, We certainly are. I think that's being assumed here in the passage. Now, we don't all have to be great debaters, but being equipped in some of the basics for the defending the gospel is beneficial for all of us. And again, we can talk uh, more, but books allow us to engage with really important topics like this on a whole new level. So uh, if you didn't grab one last week, there's the Mission Series book at page 24. There's five there that I've picked and read that I think are great. And maybe just maybe set yourself the task of reading one and sharing what you've learned with others, with your brothers and sisters in Christ here. Because of the 1.2 million people in our city that don't know Jesus, who are deeply loved and matter to God. And my last point is the motivation of our reply. Peter says in verse 15, but in your hearts, set apart, or I think it says, said revere up on screen, set apart Christ as Lord. And I'll close with this encouragement, because I assume you know the feeling well when you're the only Christian in the room and the opportunity comes to share something of your love for Jesus whether it's uh, in comfortable uh, conversation and an opportunity comes for an apt or gracious reply, or whether the name of Jesus is under attack and you're called to defend the gospel. In your heart, if you're like me, you can often feel a little timid, a little overwhelmed. And if you're a Christian, you'll know that Jesus is not only Lord of your life, but Lord of all creation. I think that's what Peter's encouraging us. In your hearts, as you do this task, set apart Christ as Lord. So whether you're in the warehouse at work or in the bar having a beer with mates after a round of golf, in a coffee shop with friends, in your hearts, set apart Jesus as Lord. It is him that you are seeking to please. It is him that you're seeking to honour. It is him who has promised to be with you in that task. So my little G out for myself, just that little kind of moment, overwhelmed, arrow prayer, I say to myself, Jesus owns this room. And then I try and speak. If you could peel back the curtain for just a moment between heaven and earth, you'd see Jesus sitting on his throne in all of his glory, with all of his authority and power, and you wouldn't feel so timid anymore. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and particularly Ben and Jenna this morning, it's a great opportunity as you settle into a new neighbourhood, a new school. Take this as a word uh, for you as well as you do say. Say to yourself, whatever room you find in, however timid you may feel, Jesus owns this room. Brothers and sisters, this is our reality. And with humble reliance on the Spirit of God, who is the divine director of evangelism, keep in mind God is doing what he's always done proactively introducing himself to people, not looking for him through his people like you and I. Do so with humble reliance on the Spirit of God and speak with gentleness and respect. Speak with words seasoned with graciousness. Speak. Let me close in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just bring... Our city before you, we know you're Lord of all creation and care for all people everywhere. Please 
uh, enlarge our hearts, make big in our hearts the 1.2 million people who don't know you, who don't know that uh, there's joy and blessing and eternity uh, to be found with you for all of our days. We pray particularly for uh, the Youth Life Series this afternoon, uh, that we may speak these words in ways that really ring very powerfully with our youth as we explore the issue of our identity and where we find it. And uh, we pray as a church you might, uh, through this series and through reading a word, through our prayers, through our encouragement of one another, just please keep, you know, lighting a fire in our hearts. Please keep us encouraged. Please fan into flame gifts that uh, might feel like they're nearly extinguished. Help us to pray for one another, to pray for our evangelists, to pray for more evangelists uh, to come into our church to help us with this task. Uh, because, you know, for us, there's 150 people meeting on a Sunday. That number is huge. as well beyond us, but it is not beyond you. Please use us as you see fit as you roll out this great news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ across time and across our world. And please help us to partner with you in ways that are pleasing to you, encouraging to us. Uh, for the sake of your glory, uh, for the sake of those who don't know you, and for our encouragement as well. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and very powerful name. Amen.